This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You, I, I watched a little bit. You talk about your anxiety, and there was a type of anxiety. And I work in mental health, and I wasn't familiar with it. And then a lot of people in the comments were like, oh, yes, I have that too. Yeah, it's more common, I think, than people realize. It's basically a fear yeah. of getting sick yes, and being in a place that you feel controlled. Yes. Yes. Nailed it. Tony, we're back with Always Evolving, another episode. So make sure you click that. I mean, Lauren, you help me out with this because you know how to tell people subscribe. <laughs> you tell them what to do with this podcast. Okay, so it's clicked. Is it clicked to follow or subscribe on Apple? I get them confused on the different platforms. I think it's clicked to subscribe. And why do people need to subscribe, Lauren? Um, so that, so that the algorithm sends your content to them. If you want to see more episodes, um, on Apple, you can rate the podcast, give it a five-star rating, good reviews, and, uh, send it to a friend. There you go. Do you know much about D-I-W? No, D-I-Y. <laughs> I know, D-I-Y. Man, I already screwed it up. <laughs> I already was, because I have like a brilliant, her background is in D. I Y, which is do it yourself. Do it yourself. You kept saying D U I. Everyone goes D U I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we have Lauren Riamaki here with us. Nailed it. Nailed uh, it. So I got that right. Can you explain <laughs> exactly what is D I Y and why it became such a sensation over time? Yeah. So I mean, it's do it yourself. So I think that can mean kind of whatever you want it to. I mean, like. I'm, so I'm Canadian, but there's a store that's literally called the DIY store, but it's like a hardware store, right? Okay. Okay. So anyway, I, I think it's more of just like a mentality and it just covers such a broad area of things. So anything from like, you know, DIY room decor, doing your own clothing, um, complete DIY renovations, like it just covers so much. And I think one, I think it can be, you know, majorly efficient when you're trying to do something on a budget. People will often like, you know, see a really expensive table at Restoration Hardware and be like, oh, I can figure out how to make that, you know, through YouTube or Pinterest tutorials for one tenth of the price. And wow. so I think it's like a big part of that. But then also, too, I think it's empowering to do something and just, you know, start to finish, make it at your own. And you've always been this crafty? I've been pretty crafty growing up. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. so? Like, what was your earliest memory of being crafty? I mean, like, there's... My family has years and years of, like, really shitty gifts, DIY gifts that I'd make throughout all the years. So it's like, 
um, my dad's a big Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And so every year there'd be some new like DIY Toronto Maple Leaf fan uh, piece of art that I'd make. You know, so it started as like a Kleenex box turned into like a little cardboard car that had uh, the Toronto Maple Leaf stuff painted on it. So it's like, it's been since the very, very beginning. And how many years you've been doing this and for 20 plus years you've been crafty? Yeah, pretty crafty. Yeah, since and, the beginning. And do you feel like, are there certain areas of craft that when you see the content or you see it on television, you're like, oh, another blank. Like I get like that <laughs> in the mental health industry. I'm like, oh, another pharmaceutical ad or another yeah. telehealth ad. Yeah. Like, is there anything in the do-it-yourself lane that kind of makes you go, ugh. I mean, I think there's materials that'll go through like very super popular phases. Like what? I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, the Pinterest community is just so huge that there's a niche for everything on Pinterest and YouTube for different like DIY projects. Um, but like, for example, there was this one uh, viral project where you would glue crayons the top of a canvas. You add a heat gun or a hairdryer and like the crayon wax would melt down into just like rainbow waxy art on a canvas. People were obsessed for whatever reason. I mean, it was very doable. It was an easy craft and people like it was viral as a viral moment, but like it was one of those things where it's like, oh my God, another piece of crayon. Did you do art. it? No, no, I didn't. You refused. I, I was like, I, yeah, I've seen it. There's, there's nothing here for me to do. That's unique. <laughs> Got it. So the, what's the most typical thing that people like to do it themselves? That is the biggest budget saver is, is it furniture? Is it clothing? Is it like, I mean, I think like one of the easiest ones is like if someone gets a hoodie and they want to turn it into a cropped hoodie, right? Because like that's something that's really popular, right? They'll just take scissors and just literally crop the bottom off of it. Or like tie-dye was super popular this like past year and a half or so because um, tie-dye was just like huge in stores. And they're like, oh, well, I can buy a tie-dye kit for $10. Someone sent me something today. Tony, if you mm. could go grab it real quick mm -hmm. because I'm curious if there's anything I could do with it. Now, oh, I can't wait to challenge. This guy's a designer. Okay, okay. His name is Alphonse. And this came in the mail. Normally he sends me Speedos because he has a Speedo line. Okay. I'll rock it. I'll make a TikTok video or yeah. what have you. So I saw this item and he said, I sent you another item. And I'm, I try to be really supportive of my friends whenever they send me anything. Okay. <laughs> but this particular look, I don't know what to do with it. Oh, I can't wait. And I, yes. And maybe I'll try it on for you because then maybe you could tell See me what we could do. Yeah. Cause I don't know what to do with it. And I also <laughs> want to be like, nice to him. Uh -huh. I even was kind of getting anxiety around what do I say to him? Because yeah. I tried it on for, uh, Brendan's doing audio today. He's, he's Tony's boyfriend. And they both looked at me after I tried it on. And Tony said to me, Tony goes, this is not it. <laughs> Brendan, didn't you think the same? It's not it. It's not, not it. it. It's not it. <laughs> but I'll I'm be wondering. I'll be honest. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's something that could be done. Okay. And so we'll bring that down. And do you do you find that you're constantly like refabricating and evolve? Do you ever get sick of crafts? Like I don't 
necessarily get sick of crafting. I think it can be tiring to craft on camera because you're just considering so many different things. Like if your hands are in focus, if you have a tight shot and a wide shot and it's like, are you able to see everything? You know, there's like that element to the production side of it, but I don't think I'll ever get sick of like actually like creating. Cause like I, when I'm able to do that off camera, it's like the most therapeutic moment. And I think mm. it makes it even better when I'm off camera. It's like, oh my God, I can just like It's almost better if this. cameras were watching you and you didn't know they were there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would it's be when so the cameras nice. are on, you're like, oh, I got to work this angle and yeah. smile at this moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Tony. Oh should, my God. Now, let me... Okay, so I'm going to try this on. So, Tony, you can you can keep talking to Lauren while I try this on real oh, quickly. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me put this on. Okay. I think the only thing that I've really done DIY style mm -hmm. is uh, a camera grid. Okay. Like, I've, I've seen people make camera mounts, and I've tried to make that, but that's pretty much the only thing... That I've ever like tried to make, but as for this, as for this shirt that Mike's about to try on, I don't know. I mean, usually people send them things, and I'm like, all right, cool, like it looks this good. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know about this. I we thought, need your help. I thought that maybe this was a metro moment. Sorry. <laughs> so Mike just tried on this shirt. Okay, this is what was sent to me, and there's a note, and it's very nice. Uh -huh. And he says, "It's even worse when the note's really nice." Makes enjoy it even the new collection, Mike. Alphonse Davana. Can I be honest? I really don't think it's the worst. Like, I don't think it's that far off of like what Urban Outfitters or something would have. I think like the sheer maybe is a little, a little, you know, a little out there. But like, what if, what if you just cut it into like a, like a little muscle tee moment? Is that, cause then there's less fabric. I think it's a lot because Where it's got sleeves. Where would I sleeves. wear this? Is it like a beach thing? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know. That's one of those where I'm like, it's just one of those where you just say thank you, you thank and you, you just and leave it at that. What I will say though is that if you have like someone who does the sarongs, the little tie-up covers, like that'd be a really cute sarong pattern. If it got repurposed into something. So else. what would you do with something like this? I mean, that's like a decent amount of fabric. So if it were me, I would probably cut it up into something else. Got it. So yeah. you would use this fabric to create some cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fabric. And what could be created with this fabric in particular that you're like, oh, that could work? Um, I mean, so if this was like in my size, what I would do is that I would, um, there's like, there's this like easy sewing thing that you can do where you put like uh, two strings through the middle and you can like cinch it. And so it like gets tighter in the middle and it's got like the little bit of ruching and it just gives it a little more shape maybe. What if the wizard wore a scarf? The wizard could wear a scarf or cape. Or cape. Kind of a cape moment. Okay. So this is basically what I'm hearing you say is you take something uh -huh. and then you figure out what do you need in your life right now that this could be repurposed for. Or, oh, oh, you could cut a sleeve off and then it could be a circle scarf on him. Gotcha. Less fabric. Let, you know, it's a better fit, I think. Okay. <laughs> is it, How hard is it to do that? Oh, I mean, do you have like scissors, like one snip of scissors? Can we do that? Yeah, we can do it. That would be amazing. <laughs> I, feel, I don't want to offend your friend. I'm scared. <laughs> He's not offended because I rock his Speedos all the time. Right, right. And so maybe by the end of it, we'll put a like wizard scarf on him and forever this podcast can, can now, yeah. yeah, if anything, he should be happy because I'm talking about placement. his clothing and obviously he made this style because he likes it to be talked about. Mm -hmm. Tony, you're giving me a certain type of look right now. It's, um, you think I should change it? 
Do I need to change right now? You know what? It's up to you. <laughs> it, that, that, I think maybe you should change it, but it's up to you. Okay, I'm going to just change my shirt back to what it was. Okay. Okay? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You, I, I watched a little bit. You talk about your anxiety and there was a type of anxiety and I work in mental health and I wasn't familiar with it. Yeah, it's, And then a lot of people in the comments were like, oh, yes, I have that too. Yeah, it's more common, I think, than people realize. It's basically a fear yeah. of getting sick Yes, and being in a place that you feel controlled. Yes. Yes. Nailed it. So it's emetophobia. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Emetophobia, emetophobia. I've heard of both. But it's like very centered around like loss of control. So like in some way, something happened in my life that kind of like, wired something weird, right? Where I have this irrational fear of throwing up. And like, I've thrown up twice in my life. And every time that's happened, I'm like, oh, this is totally fine. So it's not actually even the getting sick part that is um, like anxiety driving. It's the anticipatory anxiety behind it. So it's being anxious about potentially feeling sick in a place that's like marked as unsafe in my head. Got it. And do you still have it? Oh yeah. I'm sure it'll be something that I live with for my entire life. Okay. How'd you deal with that during one of the craziest times, like periods well, so, of So like COVID is not typically associated with throwing up, which is the main source so it's of- mainly just throwing yeah, up. Yeah. It's that's like what emetophobia is around. It's like just throwing up. Gotcha. Okay. Damn. So it's basically a fear. To, and you're saying you're always going to have this. And then you talked about that you take a medication in the mm -hmm. evening and then you make it, do you take it, which, and then there's a medication in case you have a panic attack. I'm guessing the medication for a panic attack is some form of a benzo. Yep. Either Xanax, Valium, yep. something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And those are like the emergency pill. Yeah, right? that's like, like that's, the 911. And how often do you have to hit that 911 pill? I mean, so there was a period uh, in January through March where I was coming off of SSRIs and trying something else. And Effects are where you on? Uh, no. no, I'm on Effexor now. Effexor is You got to be chain. careful, though, when you get off of that one. I know. I'm really that scared. One's, that one's I know. nasty. I've been on that one. I know. Effexor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm Effexor really nervous. Effexor is like an antidepressant medication. can help mm -hmm. with anxiety. And then you you were on a different medicine. I was on an SSRI, and then I'm over on an SNRI now. Do you see what kind you were on, or is it? Yeah, yeah. I was on um, Selexa for like eight years, and then Zoloft after that. And so I was just like at, I was on 80 milligrams of Selexa, which is really, really high. So coming off of that to try something else was like a really, really intense withdrawal period. Mm -hmm. And I was trying a different route. So I was trying gabapentin uh, in tangent with, um, oh, I always fucked up, propranolol. Mm. I was on gabapentin for a while too. Oh yeah. Did get, yeah. Gabapentin. But I don't so. think that did anything. I think it did nothing for me. They, they acted Literally like, nothing. I, I feel like I had the placebo or something. Same. Because same. I was on that medication. I was like, it's like taking a vitamin and I know it's supposed to help me with my attention span yes. and my anxiety, yes. but it felt like nothing. It felt like nothing. So in that period when they were trying me on gabapentin and like going a different route to like yeah. lower the overall brain activity, 
I was like on, I like couldn't leave the house. I was, compl- I was operating at probably like 10% of like mm. what I should have been in like regular human form. And so during that period, I just had to take Xanax like multiple times a week. But now I couldn't even tell you the last time that I had to take it. Got it. And then the evening you're doing like Trazodone or Remeron or like one of those? No, not even. So I do Effexor and then that um, blood pressure medication, Propranolol or whatever, okay. um, just in the mornings. And then I take a... Oh God, what's the nighttime one? It's, um, Ritazepine? no, no, no. It's actually not typically used for sleep sleep or anxiety. I forget what it's used for. It's another one of those ones where it's supposed to like bring down just like the overall overactivity mm. in your head. So it's right. not typically associated. It's, it's been used with seizures before to bring down, not the same way that like out of in would be used, but right. like just like a, a lower everyday thing. I gotcha. So you basically found a, a cocktail that evolved in terms of yes. what's been most helpful. And have you also been to therapy? Oh my God. Yeah. I have a standing session with my therapist every single week. And then I've been in and out of therapy before that for the last 10 years. Have you been to therapy, Tony? Mm-mm. You should go to therapy. Everyone needs Never it. once. Ther- I mean- Sometimes I feel like I have therapy sessions when I'm talking to you, but (laughs) that's like, that's like the, I mean, it's, but I've never actually seen a therapist, which I have now been encouraged to. Therapy is so great. I really think that like every single person will get something from therapy. Yeah, I love whether like you too. think that you have trauma or not, or whether you know what I mean. It's just like it's and it's bound. Incredible. And it's like they they're not legally allowed to talk about it, so you can say whatever's on your mind. Mm-hmm. And you could, there's all different types of therapists out there. So what do you when you see your therapist? Is it like a check in, or is it more? There's a curriculum or what's, what's kind of the style? Um, I mean, like we've worked through different things. Um, so he's a cognitive behavioral therapist. So we do like CBT stuff for the most part. So it's reconditioning the way that I react to certain, certain like stimuli in my life. Um, but then we also triggers. Yeah. Different triggers. So what's like a trigger that it's been extremely helpful in terms of therapy where you're like, aha. Yeah. Of just like now that I can apply like new tools. Um, I think just like using the biggest thing has been using just like overall logic as something that can strengthen, um, you know, kind of the fight against anxiety. So going through something and writing out exactly like, so just say I start to feel nauseous somewhere, right. Um, just say at the airport, which is like worst case scenario for me and my irrational anxiety brains, like worst case scenario, it's being trapped on an airplane, suspended, however many miles in the air. And so it would be, okay, so what if you do get sick? They have the literal little baggies prepared for that situation to happen. Um, You'd have access to water and ginger ale and flight attendants are literally there to help. Um, And then in most occasions I'm traveling with someone and like, they're not going to just be like, okay, go fuck off by yourself. Like you're screwed for the day. Um, You have access to a bathroom. You like to be in control. Oh my God. That's it's In all aspects. It's centered around everything. In everything in your life, huh? Yes. Oh yeah. Everything. Oh, everything. Everything. And, and does it, it, and even in your relationship, you like to be in control. Yeah, for sure. And so this has been something that I've, my um, therapist and I have been diving into, um, is that, so I dated someone who had epilepsy for four years and it was the loss of control over and over again when he would have a seizure that, you know, made a lasting impact, especially in relationships. So on a day-to-day basis, because there are triggers that are going to um, increase the likelihood of having a seizure, you know, like the quality of sleep and eating well and not being so stressed and taking your medication on time. So like I was trying to control the situation as much as I could to help prevent a seizure. Mm. So it started off as being, you know, really great intentions of trying to like be helpful. 
Um, but one, it was very overbearing in that relationship, which I later on realized. And then two, it kind of conditioned me later on in other relationships when there was no actual threat of like a life or death situation, like a seizure. So it's having to unlearn a lot of that now. Is, is to let go. To let go. Yeah. And also like, there's no reason why I need to ask my boyfriend now who's perfectly healthy, what he had for dinner last night. You know what I mean? Like outside of like curiosity. It's almost like looking for something that you can solve. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be too, that maybe that's also how in the past relationships, you also looked at your role. Oh, a hundred percent. I was caretaker. The caretaker. Yeah, for sure. And then you're with someone, let's say that doesn't need as much caretaking. Mm -hmm. And so you're looking for your role. Yep. And so has that role shifted where you're no longer a caretaker? I mean, does he need a caretaker? Sometimes. I mean, he's like such a, my boyfriend now is like the craziest, smartest, like tech bro ever, but like couldn't even hold uh, like a spatula narrow pan. You know what I mean? Like, so in some aspects, like he definitely, I think appreciates having some things like, you know, quote unquote taken care of. But I think it's been a really healthy process for me to unlearn a lot of that of checking in so often and trying to control elements within the relationship that don't need to be controlled. Um, Cause I feel like that's not healthy for either of us in the relationship. And then also being able to like unlearn the stress that I put on my shoulders that I didn't need to um, in relationships where there literally is not a life or death threat like there used to be. What about friendships? Do you find that you also apply that similar mentality to your friendships? Sometimes I think in a smaller way, like I think it definitely, you know, is pretty consistent throughout everything I do in my life. But like for friendships, for example, like my friends know that like I'm the planner. And so I think friendships, especially like long-term ones, like they just look to me to plan things because I enjoy doing it. You know, you're in Mm. control of the situation and they enjoy just showing up on time. So it's worked out really well for everyone because a lot of them don't enjoy like coordinating stuff like that. But outside of that, I think it's it's less uh, prevalent than relationships. Were your parents, quote, controlling at all? Oh, yeah. My mom and I are wired very similarly. And how was she controlling growing up? I mean, so, like, I would watch an hour of TV every day. Um, limited to an hour, specific. Yeah, limited to okay. an hour. Um, Type of TV you could watch? Did you get to choose or she chose? No, I got to choose. Oh, that's I good. I got to choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would do, like, little math. This is, like, typical Asian mom. <laughs> Like doing like specific amounts of like workbook pages in the summer, like to like keep your brain sharp between fucking grade two and three, like yeah, stuff like that. So it was, it, I had a lot of structure, I think, growing up too. Also, I took piano lessons and guitar lessons. So there's a lot of structure and like kind of rules behind like practicing every single week and every day to like stay up with the stuff that you need to be improving at from week to week lessons. Did you guys rebel against your parents at all growing up? I mean, I did, but sometimes, but I mean, it always what came age with did consequence. you start rebelling? Probably like 12, 13. Oh, damn. When I, when I wanted to go out and hang out with my friends, I wanted to just go across the street and hang out. My and parents you would just do it? Yeah. And then, of course, the consequences would come after. What were they? I'd get my ass beat. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Literally whipped. Whipped? Oh, shit. Like a yeah, real like whip? My dad was very abusive where like he had like horse whips. Yeah. Therapy could be great for you. Huh? Therapy could be great for you. Yeah, well, no, I mean, he's (laughs) he's definitely not in my life, but um, yeah, like there was always consequences. But I know that was how many times were you horse whipped? Probably a good handful of times. Why did he have a horse whip? Because we grew up on a ranch. So we had horses. But it was like he would find whatever he can find his hands on. Like it was like 
I was young, but I thought it was normal. Did I he thought, ever apologize after? Uh, when he was sober. Mm. The worst thing I got was my mouth washed out with soap. That actually happened to you? Oh, yeah. Wow. I, I can still remember the taste of the soap. If I said a cuss word, my mom would bring me upstairs and wash my mouth out with soap. I just remember crying with soap in my mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my Did you God. ever rebel? Um, Not too much. I think also, too. So I'm an only child and my parents were like pretty you know, like willing to like take me to see friends and drop me off and drive me places. And I think I also didn't really have things that I wanted to do that I wasn't able to. Um, and then the times they that trusted I trusted you. Yeah. They trusted me. Cause I was a good, I was a good kid. You know, it's like I had good friends. I knew all my friends, families. I did well in school. I was athletic. So it's when was pretty, the first time you smoked pot? Oh my God. Late, like grade 12. Grade Isn't 12. It funny? It's late now to be grade 12 smoking weed, but I was drinking Wait, at 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, feel like kind that's of, late. Yeah. yeah, I have friends who were smoking in like grade seven and eight. Yeah, yeah that is was. true. But drinking started, I think, around like grade nine and ten. And did your parents ever find out that you were drinking or smoking weed? Like, did they catch you growing up at all? Well, my parents. So it was also the drinking age in Canada is nineteen. So I feel like when you're in high school, you're like already close, cl so much closer. So like, my parents would buy me like not like crazy like hard alcohol but like they would buy me like little easy things that weren't crazy because i'd rather get it they'd rather me get it from them responsibly right. than do something sketchy so my cousin who used to go to the same high school as me like we had this thing where i would give him my locker combination i'd leave 20 bucks in the locker he'd take it at lunch go buy alcohol and replace the 20 bucks in my locker with alcohol so not that my parents ever really knew about that but i think that was the behavior they were trying to avoid. And they would just like get me, you know, coolers and like Mike's Heart Lemonade and stuff. That's funny. Wow. And you were in high school. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I some mean, parents it's, are it's very. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, when you hear about families who are like, I'd rather my kids be drinking under my own roof than somewhere else. Like, because we definitely went to like parties and fields and stuff that were, you know, in illegal spaces. We'd be having bonfires and stuff that were it's, definitely not legal. You know, it's so interesting how people complain about their childhoods. And then I'll listen to someone who gets horse whipped. <laughs> who like I've known for, you know, a few years now who has never complained about his childhood once. Yeah. But then you can go on social media or you can like hear stories where people are complaining. You're like, how are you complaining comparatively to a lot of people? Yeah. It's interesting that the people who should be complaining aren't complaining. Aren't complaining <laughs> and the people that are complaining are the ones who have a big voice on social media. Yeah. 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 Like I've, I've, I have not a single thing to say negatively. No, I can tell because I poked around. And you're like, yeah, you know, my mom was controlling. She was an Asian mom, but it wasn't that bad. Oh like, yeah, no, no. Listening I had, to how you grew up, I'm like, yeah, she got it good. <laughs> <laughs> she got no, it my real parents good. really like. My parents are still together now, like super healthy relationship. Like they really kept me in a very happy and healthy bubble. Which I think later on, you know, it was tough to face the real world. I was like, oh shit, it is not happy and healthy everywhere. Mm. But they did such a good job of shielding me from things, especially at a young age. I feel like with developing brains, it's so you know, it can get tricky when you see scary shit happen when you're young. So you've had. You have millions of followers. You have something like, what, over eight, nine million subscribers on YouTube, millions of followers on every platform. And you're now in the process where, or you've been in the process where you want to evolve. Like you're 28 years old. You were making content before that uh, the audience was maybe 16, 17, 18, mm -hmm. and where they love it, right? But over time, you're, you're in a, 
you're aging, right? You're almost 30. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh God. Hearing that I'm like, (laughs) and you're not, you're not, you're not trying to go, you know, be the mom and Nickelodeon. Right. So how, so what is this process like for you now? And what, is the biggest challenge in this evolution? I mean, the biggest challenge is right off the bat is change. Like any change in a format where people are so used to and expecting content from you in a certain, you know, voice and style, like not everyone's going to love that. And I think at the very beginning, that's when you see the most pushback. Cause I think my fan base, like early on when I was at the beginning of the transition was even younger than that. So between like 10 and 15, because I didn't even mean to really position my content like this, but DIY kind of just ended up being family friendly. I was also in a relationship with another creator who had a very, very young fan base. And so they really latched on to our relationship that was very public. So I ended up with this very young fan base. The relationship ended. And um, alongside of that, I was just like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Like, this mm. is like draining me so hardcore. It was like living like a Miley Cyrus life, you know? Like I would go out and just do like normal 25-year-old girl things. And then online, it was like, if someone posted a screenshot of me swearing in a conversation, like it was like, oh my God, like Lord, am I swearing? So I was like, I need to be out of this situation. Like this is horrible for me. And was that health. the moment for you when you had enough is when someone screenshot you like cussing what was like the moment there wasn't like a I don't think there was like a big like it was gradual it was gradual it was gradual and then you reached a point where you're like I do not want to keep people pleasing yes 15 year olds yes that was literally what it is I was like I don't want to do this anymore I want to be able to talk about real things that are happening in my life that I know are happening in other you know ages 18 to 30 year old girls lives. Like I want to be able to relate and have conversations around that because like that's what's happening in my life and that's what's important to me. And I, you know, like there's just such a opportunity to connect there. So the biggest challenge is change, but then what what change specifically is that? I mean, I think it's, you know, the ego side of people being like, well, I don't like you anymore. And you have to be like, like you're walking into it knowing that that's, ultimately the goal is that I want people who don't like this new content to unsubscribe and unfollow At the same time. It's like working. That's in- not the goal or it is a goal. It is the goal. Oh, so you want them gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The people who won't evolve with you. You're like, yeah, stop following. Head on out. Yeah. Head on out. Like if I could auto subscribe everyone who was just like not interested, I'd be like, yeah, head on. if it cut, cuts my subscribers in half, that's totally fine. Cause like my goal is to make content for people who are going to enjoy the content. So I think, but like being in the position of a digital creator, like you're taught to like celebrate getting more subscribers, celebrate getting more views. Right. You're supposed to put balloons out with like your millionth follower. And like, you know, I saw some TikTok video where like this, these, this couple was crying when they got their millionth follower and having a break. I think I sent that to you, right, Tony? I said, this is everything wrong with the internet today. Yes. It was just like, so what type of content do you not want to be doing when you say, okay, I don't want to be giving this type of content, what is this? I mean, I think it's a combination of just like, like one of, for, here's a perfect example, is like back to school content. My ass has not been in school since 2014. Like, I don't, I don't, I just don't relate to it. I don't want to make DIY binders. Like, that's just like so irrelevant. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every year. And it was one of those things that the back to school time would come around. And I was like known for like all these, yeah, projects and like DIY school supplies. And every year, like when it was coming, I was like, another year. It's like, okay, let's do it. Let's Mm. do it. Cause people were expecting that of me. And so it was hard to, it was hard for the audience to be like, we're done with this. Like we're moving on from this. So, so it's basically, do you still want to do DIY on your 
platforms or are you wanting to like, because I know you're involved with the HBO show. So you kind of get your fix on, it's called Craftopia, right? Mm -hmm. So you get kind of that creative fix. Are you also wanting to change like the type of content you do? I mean, I think like, so my thing is I don't have a specific like craft medium that I'm obsessed with. Like I'm not like just a painter or like just a, you know, clothing flipper. So I think there are really great ways where I'm still able to be creative in the content, but it's more from an entertainment perspective and less of like a DIY tutorial perspective. Um, Cause I don't think people are going to YouTube as often as they used to for DIY tutorials. Why is that? I think because TikTok is a massive um, new platform where you can see a tutorial happen in 30 seconds, where YouTube would be, you know, a a 15 minute video. So I think attention spans are just much shorter now and people love to just get their fix on TikTok. Do you feel like you're uh, almost, and don't take this the wrong way, <laughs> yeah, I'm saying worry. this, but do you feel like if anything, you're like too old to put that much energy into being a quote YouTuber? No, not at all, actually. So anyone could be any age. Oh, yeah, 100%. But the demo is a younger demo, correct? I Like my parents, I never hear them talking about YouTube. Well, I think, I think it's like our generation grew up watching YouTubers instead of a lot of TV, right? right. So it's like a lot of people have favorite vloggers and favorite, you know, just like content creators versus watching so much traditional TV. And I'm sure they do. They love like Riverdale and Pretty Little Liars or whatever, but they also are like, oh, I love this YouTuber. I watch like their hauls and like what they're eating and stuff. So I think it's that it wasn't really that relevant until my generation started being like, okay, YouTube is a thing that's available right. to like consume as media. But I think that creators can be of any age, to be honest. Yeah. Some people are invested invested into some of the creators that are oh, out yeah. there today. Are you invested into any any creators that you look up to or that inspired you? What do you, you mean or, invested? Like you're a super invested fan of? Invested like, yeah, like you're a super fan of. Like you're like, you love everything they do or you follow every yeah. move they make. Do you know or do you have anyone that you... I mean, a lot of my friends I keep up with, even though I still see them, like, you know, on a weekly basis, there's a lot of my friends who I still watch all of their content, not only just support them because I like, you know, seeing like how they're doing their content. And I think it's interesting and they, you know, they're fun to watch. I think a lot of people in my generation too are like, it's like nice background noise. So it's like, if I'm cooking or putting my laundry or doing my makeup, it's like just nice to have a 20 minute video of something really chill that feels like you're hanging out with someone. So the good news is for anyone listening, because there's a lot of people older who are listening, it's never too late. And, but I have to imagine <laughs> it's very hard to build up a YouTube channel. I mean, I've seen some people think they suddenly have this idea and you look at their YouTube channel and you know, no one really participates in it. So what tips do you have for someone who's just starting out? I mean, I think YouTube is a really hard platform to break into right now. I think it's so incredibly oversaturated and it's really difficult. Um, and I think it's interesting just like in the digital landscape to see platforms like TikTok, whose algorithm is something like we've never seen before. Even with Instagram, it's more in the vein of YouTube where you're fighting against that algorithm that's you know, suppressing a lot of content that's not getting interactions where TikTok, it seems more, it's like if you were to upload 20 videos, one of them might hit, right. even if you don't have followers where Instagram and YouTube, your, your, your content, even against your own followers is being suppressed. What do you mean? Like, so if I've got four and a half million followers on Instagram, right? My post might actually only go up to 10% of those followers. And so as a creator, it's discouraging and you're fighting against that algorithm all the time. Whereas TikTok, it doesn't really matter how many followers you have. It's more like, I don't even know what like the secret sauce of their algorithm is, but 
like the for you page is so incredibly well curated for every individual user that so your advice is not to start off with you not to do youtube if you're just starting out i mean so youtube is where you'll make the most money so i think it's like you need to start off on a combination of platforms and like build them in tangent because youtube is where the money is Instagram is great for great for brand deal money and TikTok I think has the best algorithm. But like why if someone's starting off now with a YouTube channel and mm-hmm. a lot of people feel really inspired because they don't know what they're getting into. I find this with people who write books. Yeah. So I've written a few books. I have a bunch of platforms, so I sell hundreds of thousands of books. Right. Right. I'm on Dr. Phil. Yeah. It's the biggest daytime television show. But a lot of people think that they're going to write a book and the book is going to be in every single store and airport. And I'm like, I'll tell people, I'm like, they only have spots for 30 books at the airport. <laughs> right. Like, and those are legendary books. Yeah. And you have to pay to play. Like, you can't just get your book at the airport. No one cares. Yeah. Like, this is a business. So if somebody's trying to do a YouTube, do they need to spend a lot of money on like ads and to, to have the best shot, right? Let's say budget, there was no budget issues. Unlimited budget. Unlimited budget. They yeah. could spend as much as they could spend. And all they were trying to do was grow their subscription. What would you advise them? I mean, unlimited budget, you've got lots of room to play there. I mean, I think it would be hiring a whole production team and like nothing crazy. Like you don't need to, you know, have the set of Ellen show on set, but it's like, you know, having good equipment, having good audio, having good lighting, having something like interior designs, you know, specific for whatever you're doing. Um, You could also have writers. You could throw lots of money at ads. If you were to hire a publicist, I'm sure you get some traction, like doing collaborations with other channels. You could hire editors to do cut downs to put across all your platforms. I mean, if, if money is no issue, like you've got lots of options there. I mean, I think paid promotion obviously is something that is when you find the right, the right approach to it and the right team that can help you perfect it. Um, and I mean, that's something that like, I don't know much about, but I have people who well, can Well, it help. sounds like even, even being that you have a huge YouTube platform and you could put money behind it, you choose to put money behind different things mm-hmm. and kind of do angel investing instead of reinvesting in a platform. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination of both. I think with YouTube, you have to consistently like upgrade and reinvent yourself. So obviously you have to invest, you know, into new camera equipment sometimes, or it's like when I have things going on, you know, I'll pay for a publicist team to help me um, elevate all of that. Um, But I think, you know, you have to try and not keep all your eggs in one basket and grow amongst all the things that you're doing and all the projects and all the platforms. But but I'm saying you actually like to invest, like you invest in community. Oh yeah, 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 you yeah. Invest in you're you're not if if you had if you had fifty thousand dollars today, mm-hmm. right? And you had to invest it, mm-hmm. and you could invest it in anything mm-hmm. that you have going on. Well, let's just start there. If you have fifty thousand dollars to invest in anything you have going on today, where would you put it? Oh, I mean, it's tough because I think also too, like I'm in a place where I'm happy with a lot of things that are happening the right 50, now. The 50,000 goes away by the end of the day. And, and oh my God, and I have to spend it. <laughs> Woo, I'm like, can I load this it. into my Amazon account? <laughs> um, I think probably into a some kind of paid promotion, I guess. Like, cause I can't think of an area that desperately needs, like I have a great team. I'm happy with my set. I'm happy with my equipment. I'm not like lacking on supplies ever. And like, Paid promotion, I guess, is one of those things where it's like you have to hire on like an outside, uh, you know, um, vehicle to kind of promote your stuff because there's yeah. only a, there's a limit to what you can do organic. 
organically and even just like it's it's like a it's a big game out there for like paid promotion so having an expert that can help like navigate that like that's something that most people on just like your small intimate team won't be able to do as well as an expert so it's like you could put money towards hiring someone to manage that and money towards the actual paid promotion itself if you were to collaborate with anyone and you they said yes anyone on earth Mm -hmm. who would you want to collaborate with oh my god this question is always so hard probably ryan reynolds i feel like he's so funny Like that would be, you would have to do minimal work there and he would just be so funny. Interesting. Do you know who that is? I do know who that is. That's uh, Deadpool. Deadpool. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What we do on this podcast is you're getting questions from the magical hat. Oh my God. Okay. A few questions have been okay. put in here okay. for you to answer. Oh, just pull one out? Yeah, just pull one out. Okay. What is something you did early in your career that you wish you had done differently? I think something that was really tough at the beginning was, and this is such a cheesy response, but like, I'm Glad that I did. I made the mistakes that I did. I feel like every mistake is a learning opportunity. So I wouldn't undo anything. But I think the perspective of feeling the competitiveness amongst peers is something that was I was surrounded by so heavily. And I think it was easy to get sucked into that mindset. And obviously, that's so toxic. And, you know, just being Got it. So, the, so the, what you wish you would have done differently is realized quote, there's no competition. And that really is just you being better yourself. Yeah. Not comparing yourself to others. Not comparing yourself to others. The bottom line there, for sure. I got you. Magic hat? Yeah, take out out another one. What is something about your younger self earlier videos that makes you cringe now? Oh my God, literally all videos from 2011 through 2019. (laughs) I went through and probably privated 400, 500 videos because it's just so bad. It's so bad. Really? Oh, yeah. What do you mean so bad? What makes it bad? Like, like just so cringy. So, like, in that time where we were creating these videos that were, like, so family-friendly and, like, I can just feel how fake I'm being in this persona that we put on for so many years. And when I say we, I mean, like, the lifestyle creator community where we were uh, – there was a handful of us that were all making really similar content. And so, like, looking back on that, it just, like, drips with, like, inauthenticity and it just makes me cringe so much. Gotcha. All right, last one. Okay, last one. What do you think people's biggest misconception about you is? Hmm. I don't know. I wish I wish I had a list of misconceptions that people think about me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like a full list. Yeah. I mean, I think with every creator that has a big following, I think that there's the misconception that, you know, everyone has their shit together and every day is, you know, perfect and nice and, you know, dandy, like it looks like on Instagram. And I think I've been really mindful of trying to show more real moments. Um, and, you know, being super open, I think about mental health has been, you know, massive steps in the right direction towards continuing the dialogue of just being more authentic. Um, but I think just in general, social media is really hard to separate how perfect things can look on social media Mm. versus what things are actually like. And it can be tough. I think that to disassociate those two things. Yeah, We found we've had a bunch of, um, 
influencers and it, what's surprising to me, and I'm not saying this with you mm-hmm. um, because you're pretty open to every question I've asked, but a lot aren't. And it's surprising to me because celebrities or famous people on television are way more open than I've found with influencers. Really? Mm-hmm. Influencers pretend like they're extremely authentic. Huh. And they're not. But I'm curious f- from your opinion, because you've been in it so long, why are people really guarded who are huge on social media? I think because it's, it's they want to keep something for themselves. Um, so I was super tempted after having a crazy public relationship where when it ended, you know, we were both getting death threats and stuff. Like it was nuts. People are just so attached to that, like that image of you that they think is, is accurate and real. And not that it's not, but you know, like when a relationship ends, obviously like there's more story to it or whatever. So anyway, so messy, messy breakup, very public, uh, fans, very, very involved in us together and us apart. And there was a big part of me that wanted to never have another public relationship ever, ever again, because of just like the scrutiny that happens when you give people something to judge and to have commentary over. And I think it's tough for a lot of people to give up, I guess, that control to let people have any kind of opinion over parts of your life. So I think for people on social media, and I mean, it depends, like I share so much in my life and like, I don't necessarily think that there's anything that I'm desperately trying to keep secret, but like, I I know creators who have, you know, big deep dark secrets that they keep to themselves and will never put on social media because they're too insecure about it, or they just feel too vulnerable to have people have an opinion about and it could be too that they that in the the world of social media people i imagine influencers check the comments more than people who do television 100% you know like i've noticed a lot of actresses you you look at their social media they probably have never even gone on instagram they've no they idea just, yeah they have no yeah. idea they're literally like they're still looking at like if if someone writes about them in vanity fair yeah they have no idea they have no idea and it, and maybe that's why too is people are used to being canceled over the most ridiculous things oh, and they are, just don't feel yeah. like dealing with it. It's people are mean. People are really mean in the audience and it it can be really tough to handle it. So it's like if you're not ready and open to, you know, getting because not everyone's going to be accepting and be happy for you and everything that you do and so it's if you're not even ready to like accept one negative comment, maybe it is better if you keep Who it to yourself. Who are these people by the way? I've always been interested like I wish I could, and it would be fascinating, Tony, if we could get someone on this podcast. Like, I would love to get an internet troll. <laughs> I've always thought about that. It would be fascinating. Yeah. Like, I would love to see the day in the life. Yes. I would love to see what they do. Because, you know, we all see these people. They have, like, no followers. They clearly made another account because we blocked them yep. or what have you. Yep. You know, they're going to write poor reviews. They're going to bash you. And it's and it's interesting to me, the psychology behind someone who believes that's part of their purpose. Like, who are these people? Have you ever met a troll? Like, a real, like, have you, Tony, too? Like, I haven't met a troll. Not is a troll it something people don't admit? I think it's something that people don't admit. And so, like, when they get held accountable. So, for example, I had a friend who um, had been getting, like, really cruel messages from the same person over the last two years. And eventually, she was just like, fuck it. She's like, I'm going to post this person's username. She's like, I don't care. So, she took a screenshot of, like, all the DMs that this person had sent. She posted it on social media and, like, you know, put, like, a snarky comment or something sassy. And she kind of put her on blast 
not like saying anything mean about her, but she publicized the username of the girl on Instagram who had been shitting on her for so long. And immediately after maybe like 20 minutes, she deleted her Instagram, completely deactivated everything. And we found her wife who had also deleted her Instagram. Like it's just- Oh, you knew who they were. You'd seen photos of them. Oh yeah, well, because we 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 she publicized her username. Okay, so when you guys did a deep dive into this woman's profile, did yeah. she find anything? I mean, it was more just like she was a Disney adult who was married. She was gay. She worked a regular job in like uh, some kind of consulting. Yeah. Like it seemed just so normal, but I think just like at the core, it's just like deeply unhappy people who get like a spark of control and power and joy over leaving a comment that I think that they're not sure if the person will even read. So I don't know if there's like a little bit of like, like excitement for them too to like leave that and not know if they'll actually read it because all the times people leave comment being like, oh my God, she's so this, she's so that. But it's like on my comment. So I'm like, I'm, I'm she, I'm she. So it's like, they're leaving a comment, not talking to me. They're leaving a comment for other people. Exactly. That's so It's I, before I posted a, a post with my boyfriend, even saying that I was in a relationship, um, there were like, he would post me a little, very little on his page. And uh, he would get a comment on his Instagram under his photo saying like, Tony's cheating on you. Like he he's with, he's seen somebody else. And I'm just like, you do know that I'm like, I'm, I'm I had to step in and comment back yeah. and they completely took a step back. Like I was like, wait, what's, I don't get it. Like this is before I even went public with my relationship, but people already behind the scenes putting that I was cheating on him. And it's crazy how it's, I, I don't understand why people have the nerve. And I was, I was ready. I was like, show me the screenshots. Yeah. Show me. Oh, he's, he was like, he's DMing other guys. I'm like, please show me. Like, I want to yeah. see, I don't, I don't see what people get out of this. But I, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't want them at my house because it seems like <laughs> True. that type yeah, of person feels like the person who probably like sues their employer and would fall down my stairs and like make it a thing. Like, I think if we find a troll, which I find it fascinating because maybe I could like help them. Maybe in an some ex troll. Way. You should find someone who used to be an ex troll and has like found themselves and found peace. How did? With yeah, their but it's problems. almost like they're so prevalent on the internet. <laughs> yeah. But yet you can't find them. Yeah. And then you're like, it's, it's, it, it would be fat. I, I'm like genuinely interested. Like even people that go on and bash people politically yeah. over and over and over again. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, what do you feel? No one cares. And it's just a bad look. It's not cute. It's not cute. It's not well, cute. if you come across any trolls, I'll send them your you way. Send them my way yeah, because I, I would will. love to sit down with someone and help them out because I I think it would be very interesting because I would love to know where this stems from for people or if they're just flat out. Like I can understand if someone's schizophrenic, they're but there's a lot of people who do this. I don't I don't think it's even anyone like that. I think it's just I think it's just unhappy people who don't have anything else going for them that excites them. Like I, I think genuinely in the last year and a half while people were stuck at home, creators saw more backlash and more trolling and more hate because people were stuck at home. So this is the deal, anyone listening, if you're a troll, I'll give you $150. It's not that much, but I'll pay you. <laughs> I'll pay you. Why not? To sit down with me. I think there will be someone like the same way that like 
people are like, I was an ex cheater. Like I used to cheat in relationships. I think you'll find someone who's like, I used to comment like shit stuff on people. We were trying to find even someone for the podcast who was like a huge, like super fan because I thought super fans were really strange too. Hmm. People, you know, tra- I traveled a lot of artists and the same people go from hotel to hotel. I knew that yeah. the artists and everyone to take photos with them. It was obvious. They always rushed. I'm like, who are these people that idolize someone that doesn't give two shits. Yeah, some people are like overly obsessed. But I want to ask right before, yeah. what's the meanest comment you guys have ever gotten on social media? Like, what's the meanest comment that you've ever received that you're just like, it made you feel some type of way? Were you either upset or sad? I don't think there's a standout comment that was like, that really destroyed me. The meanest ones are when you're already like insecure about something and you're kind of thinking it yourself. And so whether it's just like, like just say I got a shitty haircut or something, right? Yeah. And you're like, fuck, I think this haircut kind of sucks. And they'll come and they're like, wow, that haircut sucks. Like her new cut sucks. You'd be like, ah, oh, they're right. It does suck. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> and it's those ones who are like, it, that kind of like, the, they just go the deepest because you're already like on the fence on whether it's true or not. And they come in and they're just like, oh yeah, it is true. Uh, Mike, any, any. Yeah. What's your meanest comment? comment? Meanest? Well, I can just only think of the most recent. Like I posted, um, I don't know. I was in Mexico last week and I'm wearing a sombrero and I'm at the airport. And by the way, like to come back to the U S you have to get COVID tested. So I got tested that morning. I'm vaccinated. I got the booster shot already, but, um, I like put on a sombrero and I just had the mask not covering my nose. Uh-huh. I'm just posting the photo. I took down the mask a little bit below my nose. And then I got a bunch of people going like, wear the mask, cover your nose. And in my head, it's just annoying. I'm like, A, I didn't ask. (laughs) B, I got tested today. When did you get tested last? C, I got the booster shot. D, do you really think telling me this is helpful? Literally. It's just, it's more just annoying, like, like, I'm in Mexico. Why don't you say cool sombrero? Or I'd rather have someone, I'd rather have someone tell me I look goofy. Yeah. Yeah. But like I what it is is when people try to tell me what to do. Yeah. It's the little kid in me is like, who are you to tell me what? It's almost like mom or dad appears. And I constantly want to re- uh, respond. I did a little bit before. I'd be like, hi, mom, is that your profile? Or hi, dad. <laughs> like I start doing that. That's funny. But like there's a lot of people telling you how to behave who you don't know. Oh my, that literally every day in my comments, every single day. So like, even just hearing about that photo, my mind is already three steps ahead where I would never post that because it would require so much explanation for why that photo would be okay to post because one, people don't read captions. So even if you were like, vaccinated, got my booster shot, like just landed in Mexico. The mask mandate is different here. Um, just got tested this morning, getting tested on, you know, mm. even if you gave the biggest explanation, people are still going to comment that shit. So like, in my mind, like I wouldn't even go there because people, you're not going to even get ahead of that. If you yeah. could, if you can say anything to anyone who, any of the trolls, what would you say? Just a little piece of advice to a troll. Get a fucking hobby. Get <laughs> a hobby. There's just got to be a better use of your time. <laughs> Yeah, do get into a do-it-yourself craft, you know? Go, go paint a picture, go melt some crayons. It's overdone, but it's still good. Well, Lauren, where can everyone find you? 
um, social media on Lord DIY on every platform, and then Craftopia season two on HBO Max October seventh. October seventh, Craftopia, and what can they expect to see on Craftopia? So it's a craft competition challenge, um, showdown between three adults on each episode. Ten thousand uh, dollars for wow. the winner of each episode. Yeah, we really upped the ante. It's more than one hundred fifty bucks I yeah. offered <laughs> for the troll. <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to give them too much money. But so it's basically a competition show. Everyone mm-hmm. can find you on social media. It's never too late to um, take your passion and put it out there in the world. And, you know, what would you say to someone who is really passionate, really talented, really crafty? And just is scared to put it out there in the world because I'm sure you see that a lot, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that there's an audience for literally every niche of content. And so even if you're not reaching a massive like million person audience, like I think you're still able to find a community amongst, you know, the, you know, if you're into glass blowing or pottery, you Mm. know what I mean? There's just so many niches and there's an audience for everything. Well, listen, thank you, Lauren. Keep it crafty. Uh, keep being yourself and everyone who listen make sure you click to subscribe follow lauren until next time keep it magical bye bye this has been a stage 29 podcast production the podcast is executive produced by patty chiano lafern cusack and stephanie Kaysen. our audio editors are jackson ruff and jonathan dematty callie kelts is the social media producer and a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew rwani horinigue William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.